For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God, there is none like you, and there is no rock like you. One who is a strong foundation to stand upon and a strong refuge from the storm. And so we run under the shadow of your wing today to find our refuge, a place to retreat, to find peace, to find hope, to find love once again. And God, as we run into your arms today, we thank you that those arms are always open to receive your children. And we thank you that you will always receive your children. God, I pray for the many hearts in this room who are weary and tired, that as they rest in your presence today, as they wait upon you, that you would renew our strength, that we would rise up again to know that you are for us and not against us, and to know that there is a finish line, that you are strengthening us to cross. And until we cross that finish line, we pray for the grace to behold you, to love you, to trust you until we are finally home. And so let this time be a time of sweet intimacy and interaction with you, Holy Spirit, because you are here. And so would you lead us into all truth and would you draw hearts and minds to be fixated and to be more in love with Jesus because of today. And Father, I ask that you would strengthen me now, fill me with your spirit, anoint me, empower me, so that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, would be pleasing in your sights. O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, and it is in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, once again, thank you again for your prayers uh, during my time in the U.S. and Canada for the past couple of weeks. Uh, there were a lot of highlights, uh, too many to share just for today, uh, but definitely one of the highlights was being able to meet a lot of my old friends in different cities that I haven't seen uh, for a long time. But also, it was always good to meet new friends as well. Uh, but definitely, one of my deepest joys was... Uh, when I got to see my family and my son uh, through Skype, when I would call and check in to see how they're doing, and as much as I love to see my son through Skype, it was also very heartbreaking because Enoch would always try to climb through the computer screen uh, because he wanted to be in my arms uh, because we spend time together every day in that way, and he couldn't, and so he would turn away in sadness, and he would complain to uh, my my wife, and he would say, I want to go to daddy. Take me to daddy now. And she would say, we can't. Uh, if you want to go to daddy, we have to get on an airplane. And so he's like, then go to an airplane now. And then she would be like, but we don't have money. And he would point to a jar of coins on the desk say, there's money. Go to a plane now. For him, there was no barrier and there was no excuse good enough that could stop what he felt was the ultimate necessity of his life, and that was to be in daddy's arms. You see, for my son, he knows that one of the primary purposes of his life right now is to spend time in his daddy's arms. 
That is good theology to learn from. As a father, it is also important that I see his life through that lens as well. That I also need to remember that one of the most important things for his life is to spend time in my arms on a regular, if not daily, basis. And that's an important thing to remember for us as we reflect upon who we are and where we belong and what our life was really made for. And you see, what Peter is going to be teaching us today uh, in this portion of his letter is how God, our Father in heaven, also sees our life, who we are in his sight, and what we were really created for. Did you ever wonder, how does God see your life? How does he view what your life was made for? And that's what we want to learn, answer, and explore for today. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 10 as we get back into our study through the book of 1 Peter, as we've taken a short break from it. And follow along with me in your outlines as well as we learn today how God sees your life. So how does God see your life? And how should that impact our lives? Well, first of all, uh, what we learn is that as God's people, you are precious in His sight. So everyone repeat, as God's people, you are precious in His sight. So that is one way that we need to learn to see our lives as God sees it. Because one of the most important things to grow in as a believer is to know who you are based on whose you are. That your value, your worth, your identity all come from our relationship to Jesus Christ. We do not derive our identity based on what the world says. That you need to be a certain size, a certain shape for your body, or a certain degree behind your name, that does not determine your value and your worth. We do not derive our identity based on what other people say. Regardless of what your parents or peers may have spoken over you, we derive our identity based on what God says through His Word. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting from verse 4, he says, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So Peter is teaching us that all of who we are flows from being in Christ. So he begins verse 4 by saying, as you come to him. So as you approach the presence of God. You see, the Christian life is about drawing near to God daily. The Christian life is an overflow of our connection to Christ. And this phrase that he is getting this from, as you come to him, this phrase has the meaning of continually coming to him. Okay, that faith in Christ isn't about coming to him one day when you were young and then the rest of our lives we live apart from him. Rather, it is about daily coming, connecting, and depending on Jesus to lead us to guide us, to provide for us for all our days. 
And the same term, to come to the Lord, is used throughout Scripture, and even in the Old Testament, this language was always about coming to God to hear Him speak or to offer sacrifices so that we can worship. And so it was always in the context of worship that we bring to the Lord. So we are to continually come to Jesus so that we might also learn to be a living sacrifice of worship to Him as well. So we continually come to Christ first in faith, and that is day one of our faith journey, but then we come daily in worship. So why is it so important to continually come to Him? Because it is before the presence of Jesus, as we behold His beauty, and that that everything else is put into its proper perspective, that He is God and that He is good, that He is strong and that He is sovereign, and so we can rest and trust in Him. You see, worship puts everything into proper perspective. It puts God in His proper place as central and supreme, It puts us in our proper place as sinners celebrating His grace in our lives. And worship is the natural response of a true encounter with God in His presence. 1 Peter 2.4 says, As you come to Him, and then how does He describe Christ? A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So Jesus is called a living stone, emphasizing Christ's superiority over the Old Testament, the dead stones that were used in worship. The old way of altar sacrifices are no longer needed because Christ is the better way of worship. And yet he too was rejected by men. But in the sight of God, he is seen as chosen and precious. But not only is this view of God towards Christ... But this is also how God views us who are in Christ. Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So to say that you in Christ are also like living stones means you, like Christ, are viewed as a valuable, precious person in this realm of God's family and in the place of worship. So you are a vital part of God's dwelling place set aside for worship. So the temple and place for God's presence where he is to be worshipped is no longer in a building, but in a people. So in you, who call Christ as Lord and Savior. In you are now the sacred dwelling place for God's Spirit to reside. And in you, you are the new temple where the Spirit not only lives, you are the place where God is to be worshipped. You are precious in His sight because when God sees you, He sees Christ in you. You see, to say that God loves you and that you are precious in Him is not about trying to make you feel good, but it's based on the new reality of who you are based on whose you are. You are His, 
And that makes all the difference in the world. Because you belong to Him, that radically changes how and where you get your value from. You see, if you were to line up a hundred babies in front of me, and Enoch is in that line, the one that means the most to me is Enoch. Why? Because he is mine. He belongs to me. And so they all matter, yes. They are all important. I'm not saying that they don't matter, that these other kids don't matter. I'm not saying that. They all matter, but the one that matters most to me is the one that belongs to me. And I will gravitate to Enoch because he is mine. And when God looks at the world, all people matter to him, yes. But the ones that matter most to him are the ones that belong to him. Amen? You matter most because you are his. And he will gravitate towards you because you belong to him. Amen? So God's dwelling place is no longer in a building, but in a people who gather in His name because they bear His name. God is here right now, not because we are in a church building or having a church service. God is here because all of us who bear His image, who trust in His name, have gathered gathered to honor Him. The church is not a building. It is not about the size The church is about a people saved by grace, celebrating the giver of grace. Verse 5, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. So we are being built up as a spiritual house where his family can be found. Then verse 5 says, to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The purpose of our salvation is to become a priest, meaning a worshiper, all thanks to Jesus, because only through Christ is our service and worship acceptable to the Father. So to see our lives correctly, we must see it through His lens, that you are precious in His sight when you can see the preciousness of Christ. And so that's an important place for us to begin. How does God view your life? When you have placed your trust in Him, He does not view you as a misfit. He does not view you as a reject. He does not view you as uh, someone to keep distant from Him. He views you as precious in His sight. And that's an important truth to grow in our understanding about. All right, but there's another thing that we need to learn about how God sees our lives, and that is as God's people you will be persecuted. So everyone repeat, as God's people, you will be persecuted. Isn't that a nice truth? Isn't that nice? Good news, right? As God's people, you will be persecuted. Peter hinted at this also in verse 4 when he says that Christ was rejected by men because there is a huge difference in how the world values Christ and how God values His Son. And so it is a reminder that there will be rejection and there will be persecution for God's people. 
Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and following. He says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they have disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. There is honor for those who believe and trust in Christ, but for those who reject Christ, they are offended by Christ. And we see this happening more and more in our day. People are offended when a store will display the nativity scene uh, during the Christmas season of Jesus' birth. People are offended at the display of the Ten Commandments in a public library. People are offended by a football player praying after scoring a touchdown, and so they penalize the team. And one school in California recently banned all Christian books and Christian authors from its library. We are living in a different world today, and this has changed very rapidly in a short amount of time. And it is a world, just like in Peter's day, where they do not value the preciousness of Jesus Christ. So now more than ever, we need to remember the words of Jesus that he warns us in, in John chapter 15, when he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me before it hated you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Meaning, as God's people, you will be persecuted. You will be hated. You will be labeled narrow-minded for saying that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation and many other truths that the Word of God outlines for us. Are you ready for this new world that we are living in? Are you ready to stand for the truth of the gospel? Are you ready to be labeled hated, persecuted for his name's sake? Are you ready? So how does God see your life? What does it mean that he sees your life as one that will be persecuted? It means he sees your life as a witness to testify to the truth of who Christ is. He sees your life as an opportunity to declare to the world the value, worth, and preciousness of Jesus in your life. Persecution provides a chance to declare the preciousness of Christ above any other treasure in our lives. To say, by your life, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is what it means that God sees your life as one that will be persecuted, meaning you will be given opportunities to declare the utter worth of Christ above anything else in this world. Are you ready for that opportunity? Anne Audibert was a believer sentenced to be burned to death for her faith in Christ. While she was being tied up with rope, she looked down on the layers of rope that was surrounding her arms and her body, and she smiled and said, so this is my second wedding dress. And the guy tying her up said, what are you talking about? She replied, I was married on a Saturday 
many years ago. And today, on this Saturday too, I'll be married again, this time to my Savior and Bridegroom, Jesus Christ, forever. And so she was tied, burned, taken into glory, received a martyr's crown, and received into the arms of her Bridegroom, Jesus, whom she loves. Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, 38, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so he reminds us that we will either be honored or humbled when we enter the presence of Jesus, depending on how ready we were to honor the name of Jesus and to suffer for his name's sake. So prepare your hearts, your mind, your life now to behold him, to love him, to trust him, to hold on to him and to cherish his word and his promises above all else so that his words will be weightier in your life than the words of people in this world. So that what Jesus has to say to you and about you matters more to you than what other people say to you or about you. Amen. And that is also why Peter says in verse 6 and 7, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame in glory. People may shame you because of what you believe in Christ in this world, but he's saying there will be no shame when we enter glory and stand before the throne. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. There is an honor that awaits those who trust in him and treasure him until the very end. And verse 8 ends with an encouragement for the suffering believers as well. Verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is a reminder of God's sovereignty, even in the midst of persecution and suffering, that God is in control. That terrorists do not call the final shots of this world. God, our God, is in control. Amen? Therefore, trust in his sovereign control and the justice of God that in the end will right all wrongs. All will get their just due for how they respond to Christ, how they treated Christ and his servants and his messengers. God will right all wrongs one day. And it will result either in honor or shame. But as for you, follower of Christ, remember that as God's people, you will be persecuted. But for those who share in his sufferings, what we must also remember is we will share in his glory when Christ is revealed. Amen? And there's one more way we need to learn how God sees our lives. And that is, as God's people, you will proclaim his greatness. So I repeat, as God's people, you will proclaim his greatness. So God sees your life as a testimony 
an opportunity to declare in your suffering the supremacy of Christ, but also God sees your life as a testimony to declare his greatness of grace for all our days as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. So this repetition, so we are a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So this shows us he is creating a new people group linked together by our love for Jesus, that we are a new nation with Christ as our king and our leader. So then Peter reveals here that the reason we are given the position of a new race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, is so that we might proclaim his excellencies, to declare his greatness to the nations and to future generations. You exist to declare to this nation that Jesus is Lord and he alone is worthy to be lived for. You exist to declare to Southeast Asia and to the Middle East, to North America, South America, and all nations on this planet, we exist to declare that Jesus Christ is the one that their hearts have been longing and looking for. This new nation is built upon the exaltation of Christ as King. When Brother Lawrence, the author of The Practice of the Presence of God, was on his deathbed coughing, loved ones around him whispered, I think he's dying now. But he said, I am not dying. I am doing what I've been doing for over 40 years and what I'll be doing for all of eternity. And what is that? They replied. He said, I am worshiping the God I love. He understood that his life was made to proclaim the excellencies and the greatness of Christ in life till death is what he was always meant to do. Verse 10 says, once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, proclaiming his greatness begins by seeing his goodness even in small things. The mercies that surround our lives, the gifts of grace that surround our lives each day. You know, while I was in the U.S., one of the first stops of my book tour was in Boston, and I was able to meet a couple of friends that I haven't seen in a long time, and uh, they were a couple that I went to seminary with at Regent College in Vancouver, and also we um, served together in the same church. And so we were very close, and we were catching up over dinner. And um, the wife, Tony, is a Yale grad, and the husband, Walter, is a Harvard grad, and so they're very smart. <laughs> they have a lot of smart genes running through their family. But several years ago, their second child, when Tony was pregnant, was diagnosed with Down syndrome. And her name is Naomi. Needless to say, it was a surprise and a challenge for them having a child with special needs in this capacity. 
but there are also lessons that were learned from Naomi's life that they shared with me that they said that they probably couldn't have learned anywhere else. One in particular is how, even though she's like seven or eight years old right now, how even to this day, she will always say that with whatever she is playing with right now, she will say, this is my favorite. So when she's playing with a bunny rabbit, she will say, this is my favorite toy. And then uh, later on, she'll play with a teddy bear and say, this is my favorite toy. And when you ask, what about the bunny? It's like, no, no, this is my favorite. And what they learn from that and what they learn from her is the importance of having focused joy in our lives. Not wishing for something else that she does not have right now. Not wanting something else that another person has. She has focused joy that she understands that the gift that is given in her presence right now is the greatest gift to be enjoyed right now. So being so thankful and enjoying what is right before you right now. That's a lot of wisdom to be learned. Because for many of us, for most of us, we do not know how to experience focused joy right now. Why? Because we are always longing for what we do not have right now. We dwell in the past on what was. We dwell in the future on what we hope to be. All the while, we miss out on the true gift of right now and the present that the present is. So if someone asked, what is your favorite moment in life to be able to say, right now because I cannot live in the past and I cannot determine the future, but I can determine how I choose to respond to God's grace and mercy right now. That there is gift, there is grace, there is glory of God's excellencies to be lavished in our lives right now. That's wisdom. And as God's people, as we understand this, we are created to declare his praises and his goodness by cherishing his grace right now. You see, seeing life through the lens of God is a crucial way to strengthening our faith and protecting our hearts from becoming bitter and frustrated especially in times of suffering, disappointment, and pain. And, you know, I think it is important to begin with knowing that we are precious in the sight of God, that God has not forgotten you, that he is not against you, that he is for you because you are his. And from that security in his love, we can face the persecution. We can face our enemies all the while holding on to the hope of knowing that he is good, he is sovereign, and he is worthy of our trust and our praises as we lavish our love back upon him. So as you see your life today, 
be sure you see it through the lens of faith and through the lens of his eyes towards you, that they are eyes of a father who loves you completely. Amen. Let's pray. Can we pray right now just to begin with a prayer of thanksgiving for the grace and the mercies of God for us? Can we pray that God would open our eyes to see his goodness that surrounds our lives daily, even right now? Instead of wishing for what we used to have, wishing for what we don't have, can we thank God because his grace is enough for now? And if there's anyone here who has never surrendered their sins, their shame, their pasts to Jesus, can we do that right now? If you've never surrendered your life and your sins to the Lord, simply place your hand over your heart as a symbol of all of your life and say, Jesus, I give you my life, I give you my sins, and I trust in you to give me a hope and a future. So let's begin with prayer. Let's thank him for the grace that surrounds us even right now. Let's pray. Thank you.